This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. When we first moved to Nova Scotia from Quebec, my mom couldn't find whole dry peas for making. She was a very deep thinker and she was an environmentalist in every sense of the word. And I think she had this really deep-seated belief in social justice. And I think This is the Food Podcast, a Village Soundcast network production where personal stories are shared through the lens of food. I think we can celebrate and love food, but we also should be engaged with it on a deeper level and ask some difficult questions. And I think when you really love something, you also naturally just want to protect it and stand up for it. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. Over the holidays, my family gathered around my parents' television to watch home videos. My sister had digitized the old films, and finally we could all watch them together. Without the need of the projector and the white sheet my dad used to pin up on the wall. The videos began in 1946 in Truro, Nova Scotia, where my father grew up. There's a metal swing set in the middle of the lawn with my three-year-old father in a suit jacket and shorts, swinging. And my Aunt Jen, with her scratchy voice and smoky laugh, standing at the top of the swing set in her tweed suit and heels, then launching herself down the metal slide. My grandmother, smiling in a dress, nipped at the waist, hand over her mouth, holding in laughter. Behind her is her flower garden, hugging the perimeter of the white picket fence that wrapped around the north, east, and south sides of the backyard. There's a vegetable garden along the east side, but that was my grandfather's. She didn't love food, my gran. She was an artist, a painter. Instead, she preferred to harvest color, textures, shapes, and fragrance. But when she did eat, she loved color on her plate. I remember a crabapple tree with purple irises growing beneath. I remember a rose garden, snapdragons, peonies, lilacs in the spring, bright blue cornflowers, pansies and snowberries by the back door, and tall, leggy poppies that she loved to paint. Over on the west corner were the orange daylilies. Daylilies are named after their bright flowers that bloom only for a day. They are prolific. I remember my gran in her denim overalls and boots strong enough to push a pitchfork into the ground, dividing her daylilies around the garden. At one point, she must have picked up the leggy green clusters and taken them to our family cottage on the Northumberland Strait. They're growing there today, seeding their way across the back of the cottage, the blooms opening and closing in clusters, a riot of orange for days on end. I always wondered why my gran had chosen to paint the trim of the grey cottage orange. It was a bold move. But when the daylilies bloomed, it all made sense. Today on The Food Podcast, I talked to Aube Giroux, an award-winning documentary filmmaker, an organic gardener, and creator of the blog Kitchen Vignettes a farm-to-table cooking show on PBS. Obe is also a seed saver, a question asker, a knitter, a dog owner, a forager, and a loving activist. It's this last part 
love, and activism, and learning how the two need each other that drew me to OBE in the first place. It's all about the seeds of love and activism, today on The Food Podcast. Let's start with a poem by the American poet Mary Oliver, What I Have Learned So Far. Meditation is old and honorable, so why should I not sit every morning of my life on the hillside looking into the shining world? Because properly attended to, delight as well as havoc is suggestion. Can one be passionate about the just, the ideal, the sublime, and the holy, and yet commit to no labor in its cause? I don't think so. All summations have a beginning. All effect has a story. All kindness begins with the sown seed. Thought buds towards radiance. The gospel of light is the crossroads of indolence or action. Be ignited or be gone. I knew Obe long before I met her. First, I knew her hands making pies. I knew her arms as they moved through an orchard, picking fruit, or her hair blowing as she piled apples into a basket. This is sounding romantic. Let me explain. These are the sown seeds, the glimpses of Obe from her blog, Kitchen Vignettes, a blog where she shares recipe videos that revolve around Canadian seasons, local farmers, and ingredients from the garden. The videos are gentle, nurturing, beautiful, and so familiar to me. Many are set in Nova Scotia, where ingredients like spruce tips, delicata squash, nettles, dandelions, plums, and strawberries are what I know. They're little things of beauty, these videos, and it's no wonder. Obe is a filmmaker by trade. She has an MFA in film production, And as time passed, these videos became a place where she explored different filming styles, like time-lapse and stop-motion, and they became her kitchen vignettes that she would later weave into a bigger, controversial film about GMO labeling in Canada and the U.S., but more on that later. Let's start with Aube's name. I thought her name was short for aubergine, the French for eggplant. My name was given to me by my mom. She was a bit of a poet and an artist and a dreamer. And the word itself means dawn or sunrise. I was born in the morning, but she had actually already chosen it um, well before I was born. Aube Giroux. Or if you want to roll your R, you could say Giroux. My mom would always kind of force me to introduce myself that way, but (laughs) that's not necessary. Later, I knew Obe through her documentary I just mentioned, which she called Modified, a film that took 10 years to make, a film she calls her baby, a film that has since won countless awards, including a James Beard Award in 2019 for Best Documentary. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back a bit to the beginning of Kitchen Vignettes and how it all began in 2011. 
At that time, I had been working full-time in Toronto. I was the audiovisual producer at Greenpeace, which in a lot of ways was my dream job because it combined my interests in environmental activism with film production, which was what I had studied. But the job at Greenpeace, as much as I absolutely loved it, it was also really hard at times. I would actually spend my days editing photos and videos of oil spills, of dying wildlife, of plastic pollution and water pollution. And and so, you know, it took me to some dark places. And I think on some level I needed to create something on the side that was more lighthearted and would bring me comfort and pleasure and joy and kind of nourish my heart in a way and keep me uplifted and from sinking into some dark places with all this footage that I was going through. So in the summer of 2011, while on vacation from her job at Greenpeace, Obe spent the summer pottering around in her mother's garden. Her mother had passed away two years before and she was still grieving. The garden was a place where she could connect with her mom, a woman who, Obe says, was a lover of food, who was a passionate gardener, who fed her family with the food she had grown and was so full of life. So it was here where her idea to start Kitchen Vignettes began. And so on the one hand, I think it allowed me to do something fun and whimsical that was like a celebration of two passions that my mom and I shared, which were gardening and cooking. And so it was this really healing way to remember my mom's recipes and spend time in her garden. Just two years later, in 2013, PBS picked up Kitchen Vignettes for their digital channel. PBS, the same network that aired Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Julia Child's cooking show, The French Chef. Kitchen Vignettes went on to receive two James Beard nominations and a Saveur Best Food Blog Award. But Obe seems to be humble about this. She's just quietly digging in the garden, harvesting, traveling, telling food stories, asking questions, and saving seeds. She learned the saving seeds part from her Quebecois mother. Obe filmed her mother a lot over the years, working in the garden while they cooked together in the kitchen as they drove to hospital appointments before she died. Her mother is a joy, and her love for growing her own food is infectious. <laughs> Today in my house, the snow is swirling outside. I've got a pot of Obe's pea soup on the stove. I had to use split peas. Obe uses whole dried peas, but I didn't have that kind. But I think it will be okay. The soup is simmering away, and the kitchen smells like a big, warm hug. Those whole peas, the ones that are so hard to find, play a big role in Obe's life, in her work, in her documentary. They bring her mother into her kitchen. They're her legacy, her gift. When we first moved to Nova Scotia from Quebec, my mom couldn't find whole dry peas for making traditional Quebec style pea soup. So it's easy to find like split peas, you know, like yellow or green split peas, but whole dry peas are incredibly hard to find outside of Quebec. 
that pea soup is something that she had grown up with and probably the majority of Quebecers have grown up eating. So she decided that she would grow them herself in her garden since she couldn't find them in any stores. And so she found pea seeds from a small seed company out west that specializes in rare and heirloom varieties. And, you know, she started off with a tiny little packet of them and over the years grew them out. And every year she would make this pea soup, which is this very simple soup, but that is really rich and comforting and very nourishing. Obe has a kitchen vignettes video called My Mum's Pea Soup. You can see Obe picking dried peas from the garden, the dried pods diaphanous in the sun. Then, with a trick of stop motion, dried peas dance across the table. They're big and round, like dried yellowy chickpeas. She pours the peas into a bowl and leaves them to soak in water. Butter sizzles in a pan, and she stirs vegetables with a wooden spoon. The spoon is charred in places from being too close to the flame at some point. So much like most of my spoons. She adds the peas and broth and bay leaves and a ham hock for flavor, and she stirs it all together, and the peas roll around. When the soup is ready, when the peas are soft, she tops it with chopped parsley, adding vibrant green to a yellowy-orange soup. She ladles soup into bowls and gathers people around to eat. They're eating seeds her mother grew, dried and saved, to cook in the winter months when nothing fresh was coming out of the garden. They're the seeds that Obe now grows, dries, saves, and uses to make her own pea soup. And I think for me, growing those peas really gives me a sense of continuity and connection to my mom. The pea soup recipe video is woven into Obe's film, Modified. The film is about GMO labeling, or the lack of labeling in North America, something that both Obe and her mother were passionate about. I ask Obe to explain GMOs, genetically modified organisms, because they're not easy to wrap your head around. GMOs are so controversial that even their definition is often debated. There's a lot of different definitions of GMOs. I like to use the World Health Organization's definition that a GMO is an organism in which the genetic material or the DNA has been altered in a way that doesn't occur in nature. So genetic modification is a technique that allows individual genes to be moved around. They can be cut, they can be turned on or off, and they can be transferred from one organism into another. And often this is between non-related species. So for instance, you could take a gene from a bacteria and insert it into a plant or from an animal and insert it into a plant. Essentially what scientists are doing when they create a GMO is they're creating a completely new organism that has 
never existed in nature before. And that allows them to take that new organism to the patent office and put a patent on it. And so what that means is that anyone who is going to be growing that GMO seed has to sign what's called a technology license agreement, which specifically forbids them to save the seeds or to replant them again. So whereas in the past, many farmers would develop their own seed crops and replant their seeds year after year, now they have to go and buy the seeds each year from the biotech companies that produce the GMO crops. That particular issue was one of the things that my mom really didn't like about GMOs because she was a seed saver and she believed in self-sufficiency and just didn't agree that corporations should be able to own seeds or to even patent life or living organisms. This is another reason why, for me, the act of planting my mom's pea seeds year after year carries a lot of significance because it's not only a way to remember her and to preserve a family heirloom and legacy, but it's also kind of a symbolic act of resistance and defiance in a way against the growing corporate control of our food supply. Obe begins modified with the words, For my mom, who taught me to love food. The two of them are walking together, their shadows long in the evening sun. They are chatting in French. Her mother's joie de vivre is palpable. I always dreamed of being in a film, but as an actress, fine, delicate, spirited. A nice look. You should have filmed me when you were four and I was still charming. And then we're in their Nova Scotian garden with fat purple cabbages and deep red cherry tomatoes. Obe's mother is walking between the rows of vegetables carrying a basket of yellow and green zucchini and shiny purple eggplant. Then she begins to tell a story of Obe when she was three years old helping in the garden and loving peas. The footage goes back in time. It's Aube. She's a little girl. I had planted peas. You were crazy in there. You were picking and eating them. And the sun was falling on you. And you were laughing and smiling. It was so beautiful. Obe grew up in an agricultural area in Nova Scotia called the Valley. It stretches from Digby and the Annapolis Basin eastward to Wolfville and the Minas Basin. The area in between is sheltered from the Bay of Fundy by the steep north and south mountains. The protected valley in between has its own microclimate. Temperatures are relatively warm and the soil is fertile. There are over a thousand farms in the valley, some big and some small, and Obe's mother's garden was nestled in amongst it all. She was a very deep thinker and she was an environmentalist in every sense of the word. And I think she had this really deep-seated belief in social justice. And I think that part of her convictions had to do with closeness to nature and to the land. And I think a lot of that came about from her love of gardening. But not everyone farms the same way in the valley. 
We would often watch pesticide trucks drive by. We would sometimes find ourselves just meters away from where crops were being sprayed. And I think it's one of the reasons why she wanted to grow our own food. And we were also quite poor when I was growing up, so we, we had to really get by on very little. I think she always was trying to find creative ways to make really good, healthy food on a small budget. Obe says that when they first moved to Nova Scotia, they lived in a small, run-down apartment with no space for a garden. But she was so determined that she would grow our food that she asked some neighbors who had a big backyard if she could have a vegetable garden in their yard and basically share the harvest with them. They very generously said yes, and so that's what she did. That's something that I really admired in my mom is this resourcefulness. Like she was incredibly creative and resourceful and she would find ways to stretch like a very shoestring budget because we had very limited resources, but she wanted to make sure that we would eat delicious, healthy food even if we had limited resources. But the limited resources didn't mean lack of adventure. As we spoke, Obe mentioned the various places she had lived from Quebec to Nova Scotia, Tunisia, France, and the U.S., and the backpacking trip to Mexico when she was seven. Well, we took a train from Quebec to the west coast of Canada, and then we took a bus from Vancouver all the way to the south of Mexico. And then we actually lived in a campground on a beach in Mexico for almost five months. My childhood was very unconventional, I think, in a lot of ways. I didn't go to school that year that we were in Mexico, but I learned so much from that experience. I learned Spanish. I was seven years old and I played with Mexican kids on the beach. That's how I filled my days. Her mother planted so many seeds in Obe's life, far beyond the garden. Obe's work reflects this, from the flavors in her food, to her curiosity, to her desire to make change in the world. She is an activist. Her mother was an activist. And the truth is, I usually shy away from activism. It's so often laced with anger and it pushes me away. But Obe, she draws me in. Her mother drew me in. The passion is there and the activism is there. But it feels as though love is woven into everything, creating balance. I feel that, and I think my mom very much felt this and passed this on to me that political activism and love need each other. In order to create real lasting change in the world, activism has to be fueled by love. Otherwise, it can get too angry or exhausting or it doesn't feel like it's coming from the right place. As much as activism needs love as a current underneath it, I think it also goes both ways. I think love also needs activism, or maybe a better word for it might be engagement. This led to a conversation about the beauty we're surrounded by on social media, but often it's beauty without curiosity, without engagement. A real love of food should come with a certain level of curiosity about where our food comes from and how it's produced. And I think if we really look at it with our eyes wide open, a basic realization is that our current system of food production is actually doing some really profound levels of harm to our planet right now. We have massive dead zones in our oceans, rivers, and lakes that are caused by agricultural fertilizers. 
We have a global insect collapse happening right now and also a collapse in bird populations that is directly linked to the fact that we're drenching huge swaths of the planet in pesticides. Scientists are finding that our farmlands are 48 times more toxic than they were 25 years ago. And the list goes on and on. I think that we are afraid to talk about these things. I mean, even I'm afraid to talk about, you know, to say these things right now because we don't want to be a downer or we don't want to annoy people or come across as angry or talking about depressing things. But I personally believe that we in the food community, that we have to find creative ways of talking about these issues. I think that food can be a great conversation starter and that we can ground those conversations in the celebration of food and the pleasure that food brings. I think we can celebrate and love food, but we also should be engaged with it on a deeper level and ask some difficult questions. We have to have both the activism and the love. They go hand in hand. And I think when you really love something, you also naturally just want to protect it and stand up for it. And then, as Mary Oliver said, be ignited or be gone. I borrowed a book from my dad recently called Landmarks by the English writer Robert McFarlane. It's a book about the power of language and how it shapes our sense of place. It's filled with lost words from all over the United Kingdom, specific words that help us understand a place better. Words like summer geese from North Yorkshire, meaning steam that rises from the moor when rain is followed by hot sunshine. Or blinter, a Scots word for dazzle, but with a particular sense of cold dazzle, as in winter stars or ice splinters catching low midwinter sunlight. Words that are not just a means to describe landscape, but also a way to know it and love it. Early in the book, McFarlane quotes Wendell Berry, the American writer, environmental activist, and farmer. Obe is a fan of Wendell Berry. He writes, People exploit what they have merely concluded to be of value, but they defend what they love. And to defend what we love, we need a particularizing language, for we love what we particularly know. This makes sense to me. I will always defend what I love, and the more words I have to describe this love, the deeper it will be. And seeds, if we defend them, they will hold our words and our stories. Obe is now living in upstate New York with her partner and her dog, Ricotta. She is making rag rugs, she is knitting, she is nesting. Snow is on the ground, perhaps sunlight is blintering across her frozen garden. Kitchen Vignettes on PBS is still going strong and now features organic farmers, community activists, and urban gardeners in Obe's part of the world. But grounding these conversations is always a recipe to celebrate food and the pleasure that it brings. Obe has a song that plays in her head when she eats flowers. She calls it the Eating Flowers Song. 
Obe is the one who taught me that daylilies are edible. She says their flavor is somewhere between an asparagus and a pea. She eats them raw, savoring their delicate petals, or sautéed in a little butter and garlic. Or most intriguing of all, on kitchen vignettes, she dips the closed blossoms in an apple cider batter and makes daylily fritters. I'll do that this summer at my cottage, when my grand's daylilies are in bloom. Thank you, Obe. We tried to connect for over two years, and finally, we did. You can find Obe at kitchenvignettes.blogspot.com or over at pbs.org in the food section. Everything we mention will be in the show notes on our new website over at thefoodpodcast.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Lindsay Cameron Wilson or at The Food Podcast. And as always, thanks to Luke Batio, our producer and sound engineer, and to Jen Grant for our theme song, One More Night. Thanks for listening. I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 